Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 308th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that will pilot you past the bans and modifies your take on the leaks on the way to true completion. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com. Save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what do we have on our agenda this week? Well, we have our usual four segments this week. We're going to talk about our top... uh, Sorry... We're going to talk about the Week in Review on Magic Online for some sweet modern decks. We're going to talk about the top movers in paper and on Magic Online. Then you and I have our cards to watch. We have some uh, some similar, some great minds thinking alike going on. And then uh, we're going to close out talking about both the uh, ban announcements today and some of the leaked cards from uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Yeah, uh, just a quick take on that. No bans in modern, so I guess we can jump right into this modern challenge without feeling like we've got anything too invalidated. Uh, the modern showcase challenge on January 22nd uh, featured Amulet Titan in first place, Creativity Combo, making get another appearance in the top eight, definitely a deck to watch, Double Barrel Grixis Death Shadow in third and fourth, Yorion Omnath in fifth, Blue Black Mill in sixth, and Oops All Spells making another appearance that's with 18 mythic dfc lands from znr um certainly bodes well for those cards uh, which i know a lot of our listeners have in their spec or collection piles if uh, the deck keeps doing well uh, especially given that charbelcher which finished third in the modern super qualifier or i guess the modern challenge on the 23rd uh was running 12 of those lands so there's at least two different decks right now that want the uh the mythic dfc lands and that's kind of a big deal blue red murktide finished off that showcase challenge on the 22nd in eighth and then over uh with the modern challenge on the 23rd first and second was both yorion omnath char belcher as i said in third amulet titan in fourth shardless footfalls in fifth double barrel burn in sixth and seventh and then dredge in eighth between dredge char belcher and oops all spells you got a lot and the creativity combo there are a lot of combo decks in play right now for Modern. Yeah, um, you saw the... I think we you actually posted it on uh, the Discord. Uh, Aaron Forsyth posting that Modern was in a good place and they didn't see a need to mess with it. Uh, I understand people yearning for the days of uh, Splinter Twin when uh, you could just, you know, uh, play your the one of the Pestermite or the, the other one, the 1-4 whose name escapes me. And then you just untap and twin and kill them. That's a wonderful feeling, and I, I sympathize with you. But look at the cool stuff we're doing. Like we've got 
uh, Yorion, and we've got Luris as companions going on. We've got this Oops All Spells deck, which uh, somebody needs to link me a tutorial on, because i got no idea what's going on here. They basically dump their whole yard and then go off. I recognize that, but uh, I'm going to have to look up a YouTube video later on today and see exactly what the going off entails. Like, I can't draft Storm. I can't play this deck, you know? I mean, Usal Spells still has two Char Belcher, so it's not like it's not a Char Belcher deck. So calling the one Usal Spells and the other Char Belcher is, is a bit of splitting hairs, I suppose. Uh, but the, the deck constructions are slightly different. I mean, the package, eh, they, they got enough cards different that they are differentiated. I mean, Thassa's Oracle is their is their means to victory, right? Because right. you, win, you win the game. I, I get that you, do, you mill and you end up doing the that combo, but the fact that you're doing uh, all kinds of broken things in the meantime is just uh, an awesome feeling. Yeah, the Balistrude Spies and the Undercity Informers is how you get to zero cards in deck. And then Vengevines can pop out of the yard and do some work. Um, you've got Salvage Titan, where you can sack three artifacts to pop it into play. And there's a bunch of different... I mean, two Jackal Lantern out of Midnight Hunt in, is new to this deck, uh, since that was printed, I suppose. And Memory's Journey, uh, also I don't recall being in earlier iterations of the list. But yeah, I mean, I certainly like seeing all these DFC lands in play. And I think one of the things that this highlights, you know, and we'll get into this deeper, I guess, when we get to the ban list discussion, but I suspect that if you weaken aggro by getting rid of things like Hammer Time being as good as it is with access to Urza Saga, Luris giving aggro decks some resiliency um, in things like Death Shadow and Jund and so forth, and Ragavan being the best one-drop potentially of all time in this format, you might pivot into a position where the combo decks aren't under enough pressure and the format gets a little nastier. I, I definitely agree with the Watsy position here. This is my quick take before we get go deeper. This just seems like a... We've been watching this format for months. It's looked healthy for months. Don't mess with a good thing. That, that seems to be, you know, the... The thing everybody wants to talk about, uh, their favorite card that needs to get unbanned. Um, I, I have no patience for anybody who wants to come at me with Birthing Pod. <laughs> yeah. You know? They, they, they specifically, we'll, we'll get to this, we'll get to this after. Okay, uh, we'll get to it. For now, modern on Magic Online at least looking good. Who knows what will happen once we get back to paper, where the dynamics are somewhat different. But uh, we're probably several months out from, from that, based on current stats and the... Can the cognitive dissonance that seems to be leading to an extended pandemic. Uh, top paper movers. Soul Ring out of the secret layer. This is the one out of the Black Black, uh, black History Month. Black, black is magic, yeah. Black is magic. Uh, going from 30 to 35. This is the non-foil version. And more importantly, this card is up $20 from 15 to 35 since August. I call this as a future $50 version. Like there, there aren't that many left on on TCG Player. Clearly, the art speaks to some portion of the player base, and it's differentiated enough uh, from a lot of the kind of samey samey art that we've gotten in other iterations. That I think it's going to continue to do well. Yeah, this is the one with the collar art, right? It's like a yeah. ring around the neck. Yeah, yeah, with a, with like a, basically an African 
uh, tribal reference. Um, we've got Racto Signet out of the Secret Layer going from 11 to 13 up $9 from $4 in the earliest uh, pre-sales on TCGB in August. Also a future $20 plus card, as we'll talk about in more detail when we get to my cards to watch. Zulaport Cutthroat foils from the Secret Layer went from 14 to 20 That's only 43% gains, but it's in 62,000 EDH rack decks, which is a lot for a black creature. And over the last few months, it has risen significantly. There's only 16 listings left. So, and there's very few listings under 20 at present. So, arguably, this is a 25 or $30 card in the not distant future as well. Yeah, that makes sense. We do love uh, everything Aristocrats. Even the enchantment for Mycoria is like $4, and that's an uncommon. So, it makes a lot of sense that this secret layer version with the uh, sweet. Uh, what did they call this particular one? The Landfall, the the Zendikar special theme. Um, but this looks cool, and I'm I'm not surprised to see it uh, bumping up, and it will bump up higher. You're right about that. Days Undoing's next on the list. Non-foil copies going from five to seven fifty, fifty percent gains. That's a bump off Legacy play, I would guess. There's a Hull, a Snapcaster Mage, three Hull Breacher, three Narset Parter Avails, four Teferi Time Raveler, and a bunch of blue spells, including three Days Undoing going around keep in mind that days undoing uh is a wheel effect or i guess a time twister effect that narset makes one-sided gonna 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 feel pretty good if you narset and then draw seven and end your turn man just like everything i said earlier about good feelings with twin like just give yourself a moment to imagine resolving days undoing with a narset in play you're just like i'm sorry does it suck to be you? It does. Let me just savor your pain. Well, and if you have Fairy Time Raveler in play, who got a nerf on Arena this week, but uh, is still very much the same in paper, then they can't react to it. They can't use the yeah. spells right away to do anything. And if you drew into some combination of Force of Negations or Force of Wills, of which you have six copies total in the deck, you've got counterplay when they get the turn directly after yours. So... Uh, yeah. This finished first in a legacy challenge uh, on January 9th, going five and two, and, and then presumably running through the top eight. There's also a blue black deck in Pioneer that's been running uh, Days Undoing that is looks like a rogue focused deck, and maybe they've been running it out of the out of the sideboard because I don't see many of the versions of the deck uh, with Days Undoing in it. But anyway, uh, Legacy probably on the move there. Elvish Reclaimer, ditto, is getting a bump from both modern and Legacy usage. Uh, it's only been printed the one time. Went from 6 to $10, 67% gains. I feel like I buy-listed most of these that I owned already, but I should certainly double-check and see if I have foils lying around. Yeah, I can remember uh, shipping off a few of these and being like, this is up to $5-ish, done. See you later, bud. Oh, yeah, Thank these you were for the cheap profits. at one point. Yeah. These were dirt, dirt cheap. Uh, next on the list, uh, we'll talk about uh, why it bumped so hard today. Uh, it went from 20... Uh, Urza's Saga, the land-slash-enchantment saga from Modern Horizons 2, went from $23 to $37. Uh, well, over the... yeah, over the last three months. Um, I'm including a couple cards here, trying to broaden our evaluation of, of paper movers to include cards that haven't been caught up in the net of our weekly analysis, but have been significant movers over, you know, the midterm. 
Yeah, and, uh, and as we'll talk about, uh, since it wasn't banned today, uh, more than 100 copies have sold. So if you have any non-foils, and this is the non-foil, this is the, the, as regular as it gets. Um, they've taken a big old climb because apparently people thought it was ready to get banned, and it's not there. Uh, just doubling back on Elvis Reclaimer foils, you're down to 17 listings, starting at 16, quickly jumping up over 20. That could be a future $40 foil in the not-too-distant future pretty easily if it doesn't catch a reprint anywhere here. Although I would say that in Double Masters... Double Masters 2. Double Masters 2. This, the quadrupling. This is a can- candidate. Yeah, this is a candidate to show up. Oh, yeah. that would That's a whole episode, though, like what's going to be in Double Masters 2. Uh, that's that's three or four episodes maybe. There was a bunch of Kamigawa block cards from from days past that made a move in foil this week. I think we had Kasuri Gama out of Champions of Kamigawa go from three to nine dollars. It's just like poster child for a bunch of random stuff moving that's not even going to be doesn't have any synergy necessarily with the new set. People just going after things that they, they think collectors will be paying attention to suddenly and hoping that they're going to catch a, uh, a bump uh, accordingly. And then Obscuring Haze has been mentioned multiple times in the Discord this week, and it was one of the top movers uh, of the entire week. It's a Commander 2020 card going from 2 to $6. It's basically just a fog that you get to cast for free if you have a Commander in play. Uh, certainly moving on Speculator activity. I mean, this, this does show up. Uh, on EDH rec, but it's not doesn't have like stellar numbers given how given how long it's been out. I think it was like six thousand, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, fifty five hundred decks reported, so less than one percent of green decks are running it. That doesn't really ring my bell. Uh, I don't know if people think that some of the uh, uh, spoiled cards for Neon Dynasty make this a must must play, but kind of thing they can relatively easily reprint in commander decks if they need to. Not not sure if this is gonna prove itself out or not. Well, they're doing multiple commander decks uh, a year, so it's not like you only get one shot. And these uh, free spells for having your commander, you know, they don't do a lot to really reward you for having your commander in play. And this is one of the things that really does. You know, we know that the make your stuff in indestructible is good to have. Uh, the free negate is great to have. So all of the free cards are gonna have their shot to get popular i think i mean this is medium popular is my point they we're down to 17 listings uh there is no foil version of these um so i mean i i think that this can go to 15 or 20 dollars uh as they get mopped up but i don't know if it can hold the plateau or not no there's going to be a secret layer with all five free spells sometime in the (laughs) next 18 months There's there's a lot of things they can try down that road Moving on over to top Magic Online movers uh, of the week, we've got Hullbreacher out of uh, Commander Legends, moving 40 to 50 tickets, 23% gains. Again, Legacy Deck 3 of Lately that won a challenge uh, and a pretty cool-looking list. Merktite Regent out of MH2 going 15.6 ticks to almost 25 ticks. That's 60% gains. That's on, I think, the lead-up to the BNR announcements today. People figured that one of the decks that would stand to gain, if anything significant, like Ragavan or Urza Saga or Luris got banned, would be the blue-red decks, which seem very solidly unlikely to be affected. And so Merktide Regent was something people were going in on. 
Likewise, we have Amiria's call out of Zendikar Rising going to 3.3 ticks to about 5.3, 62% gains. Oops, all spells back on the menu slash Char Belcher in play uh, is moving that one up. And then Days out of Eternal Masters went from 3.5 ticks to 6 ticks, 74% gains. I think ban announcement movement has a lot to do with that since uh, Ragavan was banned, but only in Legacy. Yep, uh, you know, being able to cast Ragavan off that volcanic island, and then hold up your days. Now you got a treasure. Like, what? What's not to love? That's so. We'll see how things go with the uh, beloved monkey being gone. I think it was more like without people being able to monkey into a treasure that could. Uh, I guess does days. Uh, I just put my bring up the wording on that. It's like you get the treasure to cast something, you still got the days back up when you were casting another one drop. Yeah. No, no, the thing I'm thinking of is that the days only four spikes them, right? So if you go monkey hit and you've got a treasure up, then days is less effective. So days gets better with monkey out of the format. Okay, I can see that too. Um, All right, so right about now is when we want to remind people about the Cool Stuff Inc. customer rewards program. The more you buy with our 5% off coupon Finance 5, the closer you get to even higher rewards, including up to 15% off Magic Singles and Assorted Minis, something I've used many times over at Cool Stuff Inc. Head on over to CoolStuffInc.com today to build your loyalty and save big. Uh, Which brings us on over to our cards to watch. A few weeks back, I called out the Secret Layer Demir Signet and Arcane Signet as good spec targets, and indeed, they've already done very well in the interim. And so now I'm turning my attention to one of the other obvious picks, and it came to my attention because I was actually opening, uh, getting my hands for the first time on these Signet secret layers, and reflecting on the fact that they are really, really nice in person. And even the foil etched ones, I think, are going to do fine, because the foil etching on the MH2 cards tends to strongly obscure the art area they toned it down with a lesser application in the art area for the signets and they don't look perfect but they look good obviously the extremely expensive ones are the ones they sent out to influencers uh, in uh, promotion of that drop that didn't have uh, foiling in the art box so those are always going to be the most desirable but they're also insanely expensive uh, in the hundreds and hundreds of dollars per copy so I, i think Overall, given that these are Dan Fraser art, given that there are full it's a full set of them that's available, including the Arcane Signet, which came as the bonus card, regardless of which five you bought, um, these are very nice indeed. The way I'm planning on selling these from the sets that I bought is worth flagging, I think. Because you get an Arcane Signet with each of the five, let's say that you got the five allied and the five enemy, that gives you two arcane signets. So you can go ahead and package together a set of 11 and then either keep the, the bonus arcane signet for yourself as uh, you know additional gravy, or you can sell it um, individually. And uh, that's a pretty nice uh, way to go about it. I think I suspect that full sets of those are going to do very well because commander players have every reason to want these sets. Yeah, um, I think any, especially the non-green signets, because you want your acceleration in the colors that aren't green real bad. Yeah. Um, you know, blue has uh, also a real, uh, what's the word, a premium on it, because you get uh, all the artifact synergies going on there. 
but uh, any of the signets are good. We've established that they are very, very good, and these are just the best versions. Uh, there's a case to be made if you're an originalist that it has to be original Ravnica block for your foils. I respect that. But if you want a sweet set of matched older ones, especially because it'll match your Arcane Signet, this is hot. And uh, I think this is a pretty easy pickup. If you did not get uh, the secret layers and you wanted them, they're at a pretty good price right now. And like you said, you know, pick up your entire set and be glad that you did when it was cheap. Well, and as we said, the Rakdos Signet, which is my pick here, um, was as low as 4 or $5 at one point. Now you can get them for 9 10 11 depending on where you're picking them up. I'm calling it to go 11 to 22 in the next 6 to 12 months, and I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. It's just 73,000 reported decks on EDH Rec, right? It's basically neck and neck with Demir Signet, um, because, again, it's in a color combination that needs the acceleration and doesn't have access to green necessarily. Um, 22 listings left on these in non-foil, one of my few non-foil picks, and they look great. They're going to sell out, and they're going to get expensive, and... It, I know I'm being conservative saying it's going to double 11 to 22. I think it could easily be a 30 or $40 card in a year. I'm with you on that. I'd agree. Um, my first pick this week, uh, we're, we got a mini theme going. We didn't coordinate this. Uh, I wrote it down before I saw yours on the spreadsheet. Um, Warren collects the voice of hunger Phyrexian version out of the secret layers. Uh, I'm talking about the foil ones today, but the non foils are in a similar price. And uh, I just, I'm always going to default to foil over non foil even though, you know, we're probably going to have a conversation about how many secret layers in foil get bought versus how many get bought in non-foil. Right now you can get the foil version of Vorinclex in the Phyrexian script for about $15, and I think that's an easy double up in the next year. Um, it's in 12,000 EDH rec decks, and uh, you've got all the people who went hunting for the reverse Viscerous Ears opened up their Vorinclex, opened up their Phyrexian sets, and they're just dumping them. And this is your chance to get uh, a real just backbreaker of a card super uh, at its lowest point. So get in while you can and uh, enjoy the groans of your enemies when you play it. Yeah, I mean, my selection here is Gingitaxis Core Augur out of the same set, going 1250 to 25. It's got 11,000 EDH rack as opposed to the 12,000 on your Vorinclex. Um, but Gingitaxis is confirmed as a, as getting a new card in uh, Neon Dynasty because um, he showed up in the story spotlight this week. So that's probably going to put the spotlight on the character in general and could uh, generate some early movement here. Um, worth flagging that the Phyrexian sets sold very, very well because they seemed like easy money, and they were. Um, sealed, the product is going more than the uh, price of the... Uh, Praetors themselves individually, because if it's sealed, you have a chance at one of the uh, Viscera Seers, as you said. So there are, are some decent sized walls, you know, vendors with 10, 20, even 30 copies of both of these cards present on TCG, but we're still under 60 or 70 listings uh, on Jinj Taxis and Vorinclex. Uh, so I don't think this is a tomorrow thing where you're going to see a huge jump. Uh, although Gingitaxis could be under more pressure again because of the character getting a fresh card. It's interesting, reflecting back, I remember calling out after Kaldheim, wondering aloud whether Strixhaven was going to feature 
Jinjitaxis or one of the other Praetors. Like, I thought maybe they were just going to go back to back through the standard sets until they did them all. Instead, they waited a whole year um, before they introduced that. So I don't know if the Phyrexian plotline is still a couple of years out, like the big battle they're going to do with the Phyrexians. Invading Dominaria probably would be my guess. But uh, eventually, now that we know we're getting uh, Jinjitaxis, I think it's probably pretty obvious that we're going to get all five. And that means that Phyrexian versions of these characters from a secret layer, which were already set to do well, are just going to be under additional pressure in the mid to long term. So to summarize that, uh, these are good pickups and in foil and non-foil, whatever your preference is. uh, I I would understand if non-foils jumped sooner. Uh, I'm not looking at the numbers they have available but uh, let me see. I am. So All we right. got 67 listings in foil and 56 in non-foil. All right. So there's similar availability right now. Um, I don't know. You know, we'll never know exactly how many got bought of each. But um, I would understand uh, whichever ones you wanted to go for. I just well, I think like there, the shinier ones. Yeah, there, there was data about there being like 60 or 80,000 units or something of the of the Praetors. Um, but it doesn't seem to have mattered very much. <laughs> the... Yeah. They don't seem to be being held down. And especially now that we have enough data to look at how secret layers tend to perform, they can be weighed down when they're very popular by the inventory present in these walls. But that only lasts so long. Eventually the walls get bought out. And unlike some other things, like, say, Strixhaven, if you work your way through the gaming company Strixhaven walls on Mystical Archives, they can still go get another pallet and reload. Not can't do that on secret layers whatever the vendors commit to up front is how many got published and that's that now two three four years out i could see wizards getting greedy and doing a secret secret layer masters or some nonsense product like that but we're not there that's yet. crazy that's just crazy i would play the bejesus out of that format secret layer masters at 30 dollars a pack sign me up they, they would probably do it by giving it some unique treatment like they'll they'll have they're still experimenting with all these different treatments, right? Like we've seen multiple in the last year, so they'll keep going down that road until they find stuff we absolutely love. And I can't believe you give this away for free. Like I realize they probably don't listen to us anyway because you know we talk about something they don't want to talk about. But at the same time, you're just giving away this brilliance for free, James. Thank you. Thank Bob, you. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's that's realized that secret layers are not technically promised to be reserve list or anything. There's, they can definitely go back and reprint some of this stuff, especially if they tweak it enough that they're like, this is not the same release. Yeah, put a put a, a second planeswalker symbol on it or something. Bottom line, take a look at those Phyrexian uh, secret layer drops, and in fact, the drop itself. I mean, there are still copies under a hundred dollars, which are backed by the value of the Praetors, just assuming that there'll be future $20 plus cards and there's five of them, you can argue that it's easily worth a worth hundred bucks. And there are still copies sitting there at that. And if you so choose to open them, you do have a mini school chance that you're going to pull a $2,000 card. So seems like a reasonable pickup to me, especially if you're a collector side player or an EDH player who likes to invest in the format. There's really no downside to that play. All right. Uh, my other pick this week, um, we're going to talk about some of the leaked cards and uh, is in that vein. 
Uh, I like old border foils of SRAM, the Senior Artificer, from uh, Time Spiral Remastered. Right now you can get uh, foil old border copies for around 15 and that feels like it's going to double up pretty soon. He's already in 21,000 EDH decks. Uh, this is the only special border version. There's no like extended art or anything like that. And we're getting things that really love Aura's equipment and vehicles. So, uh, And it's only one color, so you get all the fun and none of the problems. Like I said, um, these foils are uh, the old border foils, so they're only Time Spiral Remastered. There's not a huge number available. So uh, I'm thinking about if I'm going to buy any right now or if I'm going to wait a couple of days. I'm just double checking what we can get this for in Europe right now because I suspect it's even cheaper. Of course it's cheaper there. Let's Everything's cheaper in Europe. Uh, not really. There's there's a lot of stuff lately that I've noticed because they've been a little bit more supply constrained and because Europe got a cost bump from Watsi already that hasn't landed in North America. Um, that's not entirely true. And there's also, versus five years ago, way more speculator activity in Europe than there used to be. And way that's more ar too. way more arbitrage going on by pro traders and non-pro traders alike. The vendors that were always doing it on a large scale, etc., so I, I would say that there's still plenty of deals to be had in Japan and Europe, but, you know, it's not quite as easy pickings as it was in the days of, like, Masterpiece Soul Rings. Um, SRAM, for instance, is not cheaper in Europe. It's the cheapest copies. English are about 15, 16 euro, which gets you pretty close to $20, especially including shipping. So TCG is actually cheaper. Um, 30 listings, $15 is our in. There was a chance to get these as low as, well, this is it. This is the lowest they've been. They started out closer to 30 to 35 uh, back in the middle of summer, and they've only dropped since. But as you said, <laughs> the three things that SRAM references, whenever you cast an aura, equipment, or a vehicle spell, draw a card, are the exact three things that are the themes of Neon Dynasty. Um, all three of those things have sub-themes in this set and we know that the commander the face card on the commander deck one of the commander decks is a blue white vehicle specific moon folk as we'll talk about later so i think i like this a lot this just makes perfect sense the ramp is already forming these are probably going to end up being 30 to 40 dollar foils in short order and if you can't get them any cheaper in europe then it's going to be hard to go wrong with that price in the u.s I'm glad you liked it. Uh, I'm fond of uh, your pick as well. These are also, it's worth noting, not easy to dump into the market because Time Spiral Remastered boxes are fairly pricey. There's not a ton of that sitting around. It basically sold out. And you have to go through dozens of boxes to find this card. You only get one of these old border foils uh, in every, what was it? 30 packs or something? You got... Uh, I've I've had to do this, Matt. You generally averaged one per box. Um, you hit, but, but it's like per point one for point eight boxes or something. So you like over the course of like a case, typically one or two of your boxes would have two, um, something along those lines. Yeah. So it's not like if you want to go pull a SRAM and get and throw it into the whatever you know evolving price plateau emerges here. It's not easy because you can't like you can't just <laughs> you're not going to be able to just pull it. Um, I've got a stack of Russian foil 
OBFs on my desk. I'm just checking to see if I have a SRAM in the pile. It does not look like I do. <laughs> but I certainly have some non-foils because those are one a pack. Uh, so probably going to be good to have those on hand. Worth noting that the non-foils are only going for something like under a dollar. Yeah, there's multiple printings of Saram uh, at non-foil. He's been in a couple commander decks. It is not hard to find copies of this card. But, you know, going for the old border foil, you got to have the sweet one, man. You can't just have the regular. And, and the nice thing about Saram is that whether or not you end up liking your blue-white Moonfolk vehicles deck, Saram fits in a whole bunch of other decks. Right. So you don't need to, it's not like a one-trick pony like a werewolf, where if you don't end up liking Tor- Torvald or whatever that, that werewolf Tovalar. was. Tovalar. Um, that all your werewolves are kind of for naught because they don't fit into any other deck. Um, SRAM is multi-dimensional in the format, and this is the sweetest version we have available. Um, so this this looks very good to me. Um, worth noting that there's a 30 times multiplier on the foil versus non-foil. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely fairly, a thing. Fairly impressive. All right, so my final selection of the week is along similar themes. Uh, there's a good chance that the blue-white vehicle commander is a middling commander. It doesn't. We'll get to it more in detail in a minute, but it doesn't really look to me like something that's going to be a top-five commander of the season. But there's always a hype cycle around these things. And there are three or four vehicles that jump out at me as being relatively low supply already in foil because people have been nibbling at them because there were some, uh, some of them had action when Pioneer was announced and now there's follow-up action on the, on the leaks um, around this commander. So I'm looking at things like Sky Sovereign um, and the other one that jumped out at me is Smuggler's Copter Foils which is just, you know, one of the best vehicles ever printed. So given that you can get those foils again for $10 or so, and this is a card that has definitely been a yo-yo over time. It reminds me of Arclight Phoenix uh, in that regard. To call these at the remaining copies that are lying around in the, like, $8 to $12 range to go to $20 plus once this vehicle commander is more widely understood seems like a sure bet to me. There's, like, less than 20 listings for the foils, and it... Smuggler's Copter is just a good card in EDH. It's in 10,000 EDH rec decks, uh, which means there are tens of thousands of people playing the card. It could easily get a non-foil reprint here, but it won't be a foil print. And that means that you're only going to need 50 or 100 people to decide they want the foils to move to the next plateau. You know, you've got a lot of uh, copies that people um, bought and sold. And like it's it, like you said, it has really ridden a roller, a roller coaster over the years. And it's due to have another, like, surprise. This is now uh, much more expensive than you thought it would be. So uh, I'm I'm for this. I think it, you're exactly right that there's going to be a hype cycle with it. People are going to look at everything that's uh, a vehicle. And this was one of the first and one of the most busted. So uh, you're, you're right on track with what you want to do. You know, get it out of your binder and get ready to sell it when it hits its high point. You can also look at things like Heart of Kirin foils are currently $3 out of uh, Ether Revolt. That's a two casting cost, 4-4 flying vigilance vehicle um, that has some interactions with planeswalkers and its crew cost would be reduced by the new commander. 
And as a mythic foil at $3, if it spikes, it's going to spike hard to like 10 to 15 to 20 if people are throwing it into the deck. You've also got some more recent stuff that might be under people's radar. Like from Kaldheim, you have Cosima, God of the Voyage, um, which on the front side is a 2-4 for 3. At the beginning of your upkeep, you can exile Cosima. If you do, it gains whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control. If Cosima is exiled, you may put a Voyage counter on it. If you don't, return Cosima to the battlefield with X plus 1 plus 1 counters on it and draw X cards where X is the number of Voyage counters on it. Okay, that's a cool card. But the flip side of it that you can elect to put into play instead is a 3-3 vehicle for 2 with crew 1. And it says whenever a vehicle, so any vehicle, you control deals combat damage to a player. That player exiles that many cards from the top of their library, and you may play lands from among those cards for as long as they remain exiled. So you have a green style effect on one of your vehicles, which could be very handy, and it happens to be a blue vehicle, which fits in neatly with this commander, and these foils are currently a dollar. So, and they're gorgeous. Like, the the, the Kaldheim showcase frames are some of the nicest ones they've done. So, uh, hard, hard to believe there won't be reason for people to snag these at a buck and it's still in standard so i would be not be surprised to not see this card show up in the commander deck yeah um you know finding foils ahead of time that will uh be printed in non-foil is usually a path to profit uh there's so while we're on the topic of the the spoiled cards and what's coming for them uh you want to read out what the actual cards are Sure, we can get to that in a sec. Before we do that, I just want to call out our priorities out of our five picks here. I think I like SRAM and Rakdos Signet the best for shorter-term gains. I I see where you're coming from with Signet, but I think that uh, SRAM, uh, with the uh, usage it's already got, the number of copies available, and the difficulty with uh, restocking old border foils, uh, I think Saram is the winner out of all of these. Okay, so we can yeah we can move on to those the leaks. There's been lots of leaks around Neon Dynasty uh, cards popping up with terrible cell phone pictures all over Reddit, and uh, I guess there was there was some other uh, leak source earlier this week. Forget exactly what the details were, but it doesn't really matter. Um, there aren't a lot of cards here that jump out at me as being like a super big deal. Um, but let's talk about that, the the commanders that were revealed, because that is probably the most relevant to our picks just now and the stuff that the most people may not have heard of so far. So we've got um, Kotori Pilot Prodigy. Three mana for a 2-4 Moonfolk Pilot. Vehicles you control have crew two. So if you've got some of those expensive vehicles from older sets that haven't been uh, haven't been worth playing, the whole deal here is that this commander makes them much more reasonable. And then at the beginning of combat on your turn, target artifact creature you control gains lifelink and vigilance until end of turn. So for instance, if you have a uh, Sky Sovereign, Sky Sovereign Console Flagship out of Kaladesh is a 6-5 for 5, flying. Whenever it comes into the battlefield or attacks, it deals 3 damage to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls, has crew 3, so with uh, this new commander on the field, it has crew 2. 
It's dealing three when it comes into play, and then every time it attacks, it's got Vigilance and Lifelink and deals another three. That's pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, the the lowering of crew costs is going to be um, done for the, the lulls of the thing for some of these... Uh, some of these... Uh, it, I keep wanting to call them equipment, but they're vehicles. Um, like the the one that's a one mana crew six, and it's a seven eleven. Like, come on, you you've got this. Um, if you really want to look for stuff to spec on, I think uh, you want to look at the Conqueror's Galleon, the flip card that uh, goes from a four mana two ten with crew four. That when it attacks, you exile it and then return it to the battlefield, and it's just a utility land. It taps for a colorless two tap to uh, loot. Four tap draw a card, six tap regrowth. Like, that's all colorless. That goes in anything. And there's a uh, uh, Ixalan treasure chest version, the uh, mapster pieces that you can go get if you uh, want to get real spicy. Uh, I expect some of these equipment to, you know, get reprinted, like the Parhelion 2. Vehicles. And, uh, I'm sorry, what'd I say? Equipment. I said equipment again. Dang it. All good. Uh, uh, the Parhelion 2 and the Peace Walker Colossus, uh, those are incredibly awesome vehicles that when they get uh, lowered in their crew cost, they all of a sudden are ridiculous. You know, now especially uh, if you can find some way to cheat Parhelion into play, 8 mana for a crew 4 thing that, you know, but when you attack you get 2 4 4 angels. Now it's just crew 2 instead of crew 4. All of these will have their day. The thing is, if you're upgrading your your katori deck you're going to end up with things like urza lord high artificer oh and, yeah and a bunch of the cards that let you tap artifacts to make blue mana and then per helion 2 especially in a format that already has access to things like mana crypt and mana vault and and what have you is looking more and more attractive as a flying first strike vigilance 5 5 and then with crew 2 whenever it attacks you create two four four white angel creature tokens with flying and vigilance that are also attacking i mean yeah, that's pretty sweet. You've also got the Weatherlight out of Dominaria. That's a 4-5 flyer for 4, which will now have Crew 2 under Katori. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you look at the top 5 cards of your library, you reveal a Historic card, which for uh, as a reminder includes artifacts, legendaries, and sagas. Um, and put it into your hand, put the rest in the bottom of your library in any order. So that's a pretty nice way to go pick out the pieces you need to keep moving things along. Uh, so Katori, you agree with me that this is a going to be probably going to be a medium popular commander? I think that the um the vehicle commander kind of needs to be uh, Jeskai. It needs to be uh, red as well. I think these are um these two uh that we get that we're seeing anyway that are the face cards. Um, I think these are interesting. Uh, I like lowering the crew cost and you're giving it lifelink and vigilance like heck yeah. And then the legendary vehicle that comes with Kotori, uh, which everybody's calling a Gundam is uh, two white blue for an eight, eight vehicle that has one tap draw two, then discard a card. You get a one, one pilot colorless pilot creature token with this vehicle cruise vehicles as though it was power were two greater. So you basically get a 1-1 one, one that can crew 3. And this thing has crew 8 and can be your commander. So uh, you got to make 3 tokens before you can activate the Gundam. Uh, if the, this, I'm upset that 
we don't have uh, infinite use. What's the the term? Infinite universes? Uh, combined? What did they call it uh, for Stranger Things and for Walking Dead? Is there an official word? Uh, universes beyond. Like, how they didn't get universes beyond for Voltron uh, bothers me greatly. <laughs> I mean, who knows? We, we, we don't know for a fact that there are not Gundam uh, Ikoria-style cards in here like they did for Godzilla. Um, we haven't seen enough of the set yet. But, I mean, there's there was certainly an opportunity there that can be declared missed if they didn't. Um, there's also a, a white sweeper that was revealed. Uh, organic Extinction 8. And eight white or eight white white it might be. So it could be either nine cast and cost or ten. I think it's ten. Um, it destroys all non-artifact creatures. And it has improvise. That is a very nasty wrath. Because it's basically a one-sided wrath in the right deck. And it has similar dynamics to something like Blasphemous Act. Where it looks very expensive on paper. But in practice, if your deck's going to have five artifacts out, then this is like a five casting cost wrath that is not doesn't affect your side of the board. Well, I mean, we've got scour glass, but that stupid thing has the play only during your upkeep, you know, three white, white tap, sack it, uh, destroy all our permanents except for artifacts and lands. So you're just gonna, uh, you got to wait till your upkeep and everybody's got a chance to deal with this or plan for it. And 10 mana with improvise seems perfectly reasonable. And, uh, a great choice. Uh, I don't see on here the the uh, other white modal wrath. Choose one or more thing. Did you do you remember that one? Uh, that was already revealed. No, I think it was. Um, it's very heavily rumored. It's not. Uh, nobody's gotten an image of it yet. So, I guess we'll leave it off for now. The other face commander in the commander decks for Neon Dynasty is apparently something called Chishiro the Shattered Blade, a snake samurai. Uh, two red-green for a 4-4. Whenever an aura or equipment enters the battlefield under your control, create a 2-2 red spirit creature token with menace. And then at the beginning of your end step, put a plus one plus one counter on each modified creature you control. Equipment, auras you control, and counters are modifications. So you can play this in a Hardened Scales, Doubling Season, etc. deck. That I mean, there's already a great green-red counters deck out there in EDH that has had Forgotten Ancient and a million other pieces for ages. And I've got, I had a Teamer version built at one point, and I can very much see how I can just knock out the blue cards, slap Jashiro at the top of that deck, and you're going to have a fairly powerful snowballing commander. Like anytime you can play an enchantment and get a creature to come along with it, you're going to be golden. Um, the the interesting uh, variation is the other red-green commander. It's the same mana cost, two red-green for a 3-3. Three, three. Uh, Kaima, the Fractured Calm. And at the beginning of your end step, goad each creature your opponent's control that's enchanted by an aura you control. And then put a plus one, plus one counter on Kaima for each creature goaded this way. So this is a real reward for, I put the Vows style enchantments on yeah. your creatures, and uh, they can't attack me anyway because uh, the Vow, but now you can just like throw Rancor onto somebody else's creature and watch that creature shred everyone but you. It's a little tricky because you're going to have to play a higher than usual number of ways to protect Kaima because, because yes. the, la the, the last, last thing you want is to have 
all you have Voltroned up your opponent's creatures, and then they just they strategically wait until the right moment to swords to plowshare your Kaima, knock it off the table, and then swing at you with all that power you gave them. So you're going to want to have a bunch of equipment in the deck or enchantments or whatever that make it indestructible or hexproof or whatever. I do like when they give us something that we we haven't done, at least in color combinations we haven't done. Um, We've got uh, the No It's Yours kind of deck with um, Zancha, and now we have the reward for uh, all these middling enchantments that are... uh, available to put on your opponent's stuff so just like no you guys no this is for you this is for no 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 no. it's not for me this is for you i'm a giving person here you go and i like it we also saw the rest of the uh dragon spirits that are going to be mythics in the set and they all look medium to me like there's the hell you say they're cool medium yeah i think medium they, to me, these very much feel like the five dragons in Strixhaven not paying off on, on the promise for the most part. I mean, we saw Velimachus Lorehold uh, show up in Modern for a little while, although that seems to have fallen off back off the table. Um, and these these give me the same kind of vibes. Like, they're solid mid-range dragons that will fit neatly into some decks and will be largely forgotten over time from what I've seen so far. I disagree with your assessment on these, but... Uh, which, which one do you I like could... the best? Which one is your poster child for disagreement? Oh, uh, at oh man, I'm going to mess up the name. It looks like Atsushi to me, but that can't possibly be how it's pronounced. It's probably Atsushi... At, I don't know. Atsushi the Blazing Sky, the red one. Like, you get four mana for a 4-4 four, four flying trample. That's already good. And then when it dies, you either get to uh, draw two... Uh, for until the next turn or you get three treasure like which do you need you're gonna get it like uh, the other the green one when it dies we're gonna see like a whole bunch of um you know beneficial sacrifices going on the green one when it dies you you get three lands into your hand or you get a creature token as power and toughness equal to the number of lands like the black one you don't want to like find how many ways you can put this creature into play and then sack it again to make each opponent discard two and lose two. You 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 have no no fire in your soul, James. Like <laughs> it's these not, are it's not, these it's are not, not that... just about like I'm gonna play sweet dragons. These are I'm gonna play sweet dragons, and when you kill my sweet dragons, guess what? Your day's gonna suck even more. I'm willing to believe that given enough time the fanciest versions of a couple of these dragons will be worth some solid money. But that's true of a lot of mythics, and I think it's going to take time. So the green one is a, is five casting costs, three, two green, four, four, flying death touch. Cool. When it dies, you choose one. Search your library for up to three land cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle. It is relevant that that's any lands. So you go get whatever. Uh, your coffers and your Urborg, yes. Or your, um, and your, your green Urborg. Cradle. Yeah, Gaius Cradle. And, or create an XX green spirit creature token. It feels to me like that's very rarely going to be the selection. It's much, as you said, going to be about cycling this in and out of the yard so you can get more and more lands. Um, and in something like Maldratha, for instance, this I could see playing this card for sure. Um, and then the blue one is Carry the Swirling Sky for double blue for a 6-6. Six, six, 
Did you not play Kingdom Hearts? Okay, this Kyrie. is pronounced Kyrie. I didn't play Kingdom Hearts, but okay. Uh, <gasps> and, and and I'm a big tactics guy, but the vibe of that game just turns me off. Right. Uh, Kyrie, the Swirling Sky, four double blue, six six, flying ward three. When it dies, choose one. Return any number of target non-land permanents with total mana value six or less to their owner's hand. See total six or less for EDH. Not so exciting. Uh, and then mill six cards and return up to two instant or indoor sorcery cards from your graveyard to your hand. That seems much more likely that you're going to play this in a instant sorceries matters type deck, just guy or is it and and pull key cards back to your hand. But that's to me that's just a solid mid range value card, not a big deal one way or the other. The white dragon is Ow the Dawn Sky, if I'm pronouncing that even close to correctly. Uh, three, two, white, five, four, flying vigilance. When it dies, look at the top seven cards of your library. Put any number of non-land permanents with total mana value, mana value four or less from among them onto the battlefield. So you can get a whole bunch of small stuff. Uh, okay, in EDH, it's debatable how good that's going to be. You could hit something like mana vault, mana crypt, uh, arcane signet some creature like a SRAM or something and do pretty well for yourself, but there'll be other times where you just hit nothing too exciting. Uh, plus two, or when it dies, put two plus one plus one counters on each permanent you control that's a creature or a vehicle. That's pretty nice in the blue, in the blue-white vehicles deck for sure, um, but it seems more tailored to that scenario. I can see people maybe messing around with this in Affinity in Modern, but it's just so much mana. Like, that seems like a very fringe way to, to look at that already very tight list. Now, I grant you, I am somebody who has a known affinity for dragons, and I'm excited about most of these. Uh, you are right that by themselves, they are not going to have the whole table walk away in disgust. But they are very good, big, and very reasonably costed flyers. Like four mana for a four four flyer, five mana for five five. Well, the five mana, the white one is a five four. I might build a white weenie EDH deck and just put this white dragon as the commander. So every time I play the commander, you either die to the vigilance of it or you kill it and I get four mana worth of stuff off the top. There's also a five color dragon. There's Kaiodai, Soul of Kamigawa. Three and a white for a flash flyer. When it enters the battlefield, the only dragon that doesn't isn't is it ETB and not a dies trigger. Another target permanent gains indestructible for as long as you control it, and for Wooberg it gets plus five plus five until end of turn. So they they clearly intend for this to be a commander, but to me that seems very unlikely to end up being popular because you already have Tiamat and the Ur Dragon, and this seems much more like a role player in the Ur Dragon where you can use bring this into play, give the Ur Dragon indestructible, and set up a roadblock for them removing it and, and cleaning up your board. Let me tell you from experience, when you cast the Ur Dragon, uh, that's when people just want to walk away from the table. So if this Ur Dragon's out, you know, <laughs> this guy... We, we beat the Ur Dragon in the, the uh, Pro Trader Commander game this weekend twice. We, we just hammered that deck with pin, pinpoint removal and sweepers. Right, because if you take your foot off the dragon deck, then it jumps up and breathes fire all over your face. 
Oh uh, yeah, they, I, there was like thirty power on the table when we went to yeah. work on it. Oh, it makes me so happy. Um, I agree that uh, Kyodai is a uh, like C or D tier five color dragon commander. Uh, not as good as Tiamat, not as good as Ur Dragon. Uh, you know, there's something to be said for giving stuff indestructible. It's a fun five color, but yeah, especially as a regular rare, this isn't going to do very much. Although, you know, it, it's no, it's not going to do very much at all, even as a, a nifty little flash flyer. Um, but thank you for indulging me in talking about dragons for 15 minutes. It always makes me happy. Oh, and the, the Kami War, I am really excited to put this into my Ur-Dragon deck, uh, for one, and then Wooburg, uh, as an, as, as a saga. You exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls as soon as it comes into play, so solve target problem, great. Return one target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, then each opponent discards a card, so bounce another problem, everybody discard except for you. And then exile the saga, then return it transformed, which is irritating. It feels like it should have haste. But it's a 6-6 six, six, uh, Okagachi made manifest flying trample. When it attacks, now it doesn't have haste, so that's important. Um, defending player chooses a non-land card in your graveyard. You return it to your hand, and then the creature gets plus X plus O, where X is the mana value. So you get a uh regrowth of the card of their choice so probably and it, it's non-land so you are going to get a spell it's just that uh it'll get whatever they think your worst spell is which is rarely going to be amazing but uh it'll always be you know at least draw a card which i love i love everything about this but i'm i'm very biased so all told Neon Dynasty looking like a pretty interesting set so far. I think you and I can both agree this is going to be a, a nice pivot in the limited format because there's, there's a bun bunch of themes here that are well differentiated from other formats we've played this year. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, I feel like they're sandbagging some real heat on this set. Like we still, we know that Jinja Taxis is in here. That could well be one of the cards that is getting the Japanese alternate art treatment by the famous japanese artist we know there's three of those we know one of them is the blue black ninja planeswalker one is probably the wanderer i'm guessing and the other one's probably jinja taxis yeah the wanderer seems real likely based on the story that was released today um also worth flagging since we've we've stated it but we haven't haven't been explicit in in the implication the assumption here was that one of these fate these commander decks was going to be a blue black ninjas deck Turns out, not at all. It's a blue-white uh, vehicles deck and a green-red uh, modified deck. So there's no impetus here for people to be chasing Yuriko and blue-black ninjas other than from whatever cool blue-black ninjas appear in the set. In theory, reinvigorating Yuriko, or they could easily provide another legendary ninja in the set that ends up being a viable commander and supplements the Yuriko demand thing is Yuriko's already a top five commander so anything you give <laughs> that deck visa via neon dynasty is probably going to bring her back to the forefront um well and... we, we're getting umazawa's great 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 grandson or however many greats you know the one that says whenever you ninjutsu uh look at the top three put one in your hand uh you can only do that once per turn but how many times do you really need to do that and for for the funsies 
now everything has ninjutsu of two blue black. So like that's already a fun toy for um Yuriko. for Yuriko. And then uh the the Kaito Shizuki makes an unblockable ninja token. So um there's nothing but goodness that's gonna be coming for uh the Yuriko decks. Yep, I agree. Um, probably the other thing to flag this week is uh, the release of Double Feature uh, being probably the most underwhelming product release in recent memory for Magic the Gathering. Lots of the vendors in the Pro Trader group and beyond have told me that they have ordered the bare minimum uh, of this product, and I suspect tons of it is going to be sitting around, uh, which may mean that there is, in fact, an opportunity on whatever the most choice singles out of the set end up being. Um, it's not clear that anybody is very interested in the special, like, silver silver bromide silver, or... Yeah, silver, silver screen or something. Yeah, the silver screen foiling, which is really just washes the cards out and, and eliminates the color cues in a way that is actually kind of necessary to experiencing the game correctly. Um, it looks very much like a gimmick that, that was looking for a home as opposed to a solution uh, to an actual problem. And it could be that this set is so under-opened that some of the singles do very, very well. It could also be that the gaming company buys up all the remaining pallets and dumps them extremely cheap on TCG, and they take years to hollow out. So I guess we'll we'll see where that, where that ends up in a month or two, uh, but worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, I've... I actually uh, wrote about this a, a couple of weeks ago, about like the the big um, things I'm watching from Double Feature. You know, it, it's basically you know was it good from uh, Hunt or Val, and uh, now we're going to get this super special version, uh, something like Vanquish the Horde, which is now. Um, I'm, wait, am I thinking of the right one? I might not be thinking of the right one. Now I gotta look because I've meat, mixed up. You mean Meat Hook Massacre? Or the no. the white the white sweeper from the white one. Vanquish the horde. I am thinking of the right one. Okay, Vanquish of the horde, which is already super popular on EDH rec. Um, like you know, we're gonna have a chance at some really sweet versions of this card. It's already in twelve thousand EDH decks. It's a five dollar rare out of uh, out of Val. So I'm sorry. Well, that one's Midnight Hunt, but uh, the the principle applies that just like you said, if it's not getting opened widely and there's only a few of these silver screen foils around, this might be really worth it. We'll have to see. I mean, it, one of the the questions is even if you feel like you're getting a good deal on say an Olivia Crimson Bride silver foil version, is there going to be a market for the card when there's superior versions that just came out several months ago? Um, I I, did, I was hoping that there was going to be something special about this set that there that there was an extra bonus they hadn't told us about yet that was going to justify the extremely expensive price of these boxes but as far as i know there's nothing so in, unless people start cracking them and go hey wait i found a one out of 100 card then you know i i'm hands off until i until opportunities develop in front of me once they materialize that'll be a different story there's a couple of zombies I'm really looking forward to picking up in Silver Screen Border too, like the um, the Arch Ghoul, uh, the uncommon one. I'm probably going to get a a nice little stack of those because they're just so sweet in zombie decks. 
All right, so let's move on to the banned and restricted announcement. There was all sorts of speculation going on, like was Ragavan going to get banned? Was Luris going to get banned in Modern? Was uh, Urza Saga on the chopping block? Were they going to dish the companion mechanic entirely, etc., etc.? Going back to my earlier commentary, I get the impression that a lot of people that are complaining about seeing Luris every other game, every other match or whatever, are uncomfortable with repetition but seem to have forgotten that we've gone through a lot of eras of modern where there were only three or four viable decks, <laughs> including things like Eldrazi Winter, where you were basically playing Tron or uh, or you were playing... Uh, I'm trying to think what what else was viable there. There was a couple... Of con- I think I think there was a couple of combo decks that that were able to, to race it. No, Affinity. Affinity was okay against Eldrazi because it was so fast. Um... Bottom line, there's been a lot of very negative environments in Modern's history. And when you compare where we're at now, and you talk to most of the pros that I've seen commenting on social media, everybody seems to be in general agreement that this is a relatively well-balanced, relatively open field. You can play a lot of different things and still be a competitor. You've got a decent chance of top eighting with like 15 or 20 different decks. And I, I don't know what else Magic players are expecting. Like I've played against Lyris a bunch. It's never bothered me. Like, it's a strong card, and you see it a lot, but I also see Lightning Bolt a lot. I see Unholy Heat (laughs) a lot. I see Teferi Time Raveler a lot. I see Omnath a lot. Like, you see Ragavan, you see Urza Saga. And if I was looking for things that are right on the borderline to get rid of, I don't think Luris is even close. I I think that Luris making expensive permanence... uh, basically absent in the low slung decks is a real deck building constraint because you give up you give up the free card if you start adding three and four casting cost permanence to your deck but the decks where Luris is good just naturally don't want to move in that direction anyway like this is just becoming a sped a sped a format that's faster and faster and so the for the aggro decks to lean more on the aggro side seems totally fine to me, as long as the mid-range decks and combo decks are still present and viable. And the thing, the fact that we have 80-card Yorion builds that are mid-range value engines and that are showing up in top 8s over and over and over again. You've got blue-red blue, blue red Murktide that doesn't use a companion at all. You've got a bunch of combo decks that don't use the companions. And... Sure, Ragavan shows up all over the place, and Urza Saga shows up all over the place, but those are also skill-testing deck-building equations, right? Like, not every deck wants a Ragavan, although a lot do. Not every deck uses Saga properly. And I think the format is... They, 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 they're just on the borderline of having f this up in a Hogak-style way, but they, skirt, <laughs> they, they skirted it just, just on the edge. And and I think that they it's MH2's contribution to modern is almost perfection. I I don't think you could have asked for anything more. I, I've seen at least it's got to be fifteen new decks, right? Since MH2 that have top aided and been interesting and are differentiated. They reinvigorated things that were well out on the fringes like blue black mill. Um, and gave puzzle pieces to a bunch of other decks like Hammer Time, and I think that's fine. Like things just seem good, and and 
Aaron Forsyth went on a record on Twitter today saying that they looked at hard at modern and the, the, the data didn't back banning anything. They said it looks totally reasonable. Um, so I wouldn't expect Ragavan to be in danger anytime soon. Not just because they just printed the card, but because it is just skirting the line. So what actually happened was Ragavan was banned in Legacy, where it it was warping the format more uh, more completely than it does in Modern. Standard lost Alvaron's Epiphany, Divide by Zero, and Faceless Haven. Uh, I'm a little I'm a little amu- bemused by the Divide by Zero ban. Like right, that was that was my question too. Like what what deck has been uh, backbreaking people with Divide by Zero? And apparently it's um, Lear, the one who says stuff can't be countered, but this returns to the hand, so now that gets around that. Plus you get the uh, the learn effect. They made, it, they made it sound like the blue decks were just generally too good. Um, but when you're banning cards like Divide by Zero and Faceless Haven, you're in a very strange place. <laughs> like, Elrond's Epiphany is a poster child for the kind of thing that gets banned in Standard because every time they've gone to the well on these time walk effects, they have been a mistake. Almost always. Yeah, yeah. almost like, always. At least three times now. They have given us expensive time walks and they have ended up busted. Um, so... I just view this as a continued mismanagement of the format called standard. And I think standard as a concept is problematic. Now over in historic on, which is basically just an arena format, memory lapse is banned. <laughs> okay. And to very time Rattler Rattler was unbanned and rebalanced, which by which they mean they bumped it up one mana and then gave it an extra loyalty. I'm unconvinced that's good enough, but we'll oh, guess no, we'll they- see. They they also changed uh, his timing restriction where it says instead of your opponents can only play stuff at sorcery speed, it says uh, you can all your opponents cannot play spells during your turn. Oh, you, so that's oh. a yeah okay that that is more significant. Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, like, historic is is not going to move any any finance needles for us. Doesn't matter. And and actually, I've talked to like several people who have said. The whole concept just turns them off from the perspective of having to track. Like, the thing is that if Magic was a single format in paper, and that format was mirrored in a digital environment, and then you split off to have one like this where you could manicure it on the fly, that would be one thing. But when you have a a game that is as multidimensional and multi-format as Magic is, and then you have digital, and then you start splitting off, it just becomes too much to track. Like, it's a lot of, like, it, it, it forces players to double parse cards in two different environments. And that, to me, is not what you want from digital to paper. What you actually want is for people to be, I love playing this card on arena, this deck on arena, and now I'm going to go play it in paper because I want to go socialize and do it. Right. And I think And I think that there's serious upside in, like, engagement with standard and and his and historic in arena from this decision but there's significant downside when covid hopefully for the love of all the gods of the multiverse please let's get past that as soon as possible and on the other side of that i think it's actually problematic because your people that play in arena go to play in paper they can't play the same decks and vice versa and it's messy uh but overall i'm I, I'd say that nothing happened in this banned and restricted 
uh, announcement that it has financial relevance, which is really great for all the pro traders that just bought MH2 collector booster boxes and, and don't want to be pulling foil ragavans and, and worrying about their value. I did see lots of people trolling Facebook and trying to get cheap ragavans today, trying to claim that the legacy ban was a major would have a major impact and that was rather amusing to me since they don't seem to have got the memo that only modern and edh matter these days for financial purposes well um you know that that's a whole other idea of like what uh what formats do we care about but uh faceless haven is not the only creature land out there either you know if people really want there's the uh crawling barons and there's the colored ones that uh you that can come into play untapped and everything so um, I agree that this is um, probably for the best on things and uh, standard needing some kind of kick in the pants before Kamigawa comes out because, you know, you need a reason not to be playing, you know, this busted ass card that you just, you foretell it. And they, they said this in the um, article explaining it. When you foretell it, there is nothing they can do but counterspell it. And if you're playing counter spells, that means you're playing blue, and that means you're playing Alrun's Epiphany. So you're either choosing to race the Epiphany with uh, any of the aggro decks like mono green, mono white, or you're just turning to this card so that you can play this card. You know, and that's that's the sort of logic that leads to a ban, especially when a format's not fun. Uh, you said uh, something about Modern Horizons two adding 15 cards to the deck i saw some place that like of the 15 no, most played no 15 decks to the format oh right no i'm sorry yeah 15 decks of the like 50 most played cards in modern something like 35 of them uh were printed in modern horizons one or two so they they've really accomplished their goal with that and it's really frustrating i think is the word i want to see like you you know how to do this. You've done something. Now, granted, Modern Horizons 1 had Hogak, um, and that that's a you know a very quick ban by itself. But uh, they can manage Modern, but is it just too many sets coming into Standard that is the problem? They just don't foresee these interactions that are problematic? I don't think they test Standard enough. I, I have long said... That if they want, if they want to get serious about standard as the bridge between casual magic play and uh, high engagement play levels, and side note, part of the reason they've backed off of that is because they realized EDH is just the better bridge because EDH is an, is an extensible bridge. It's a bridge that expands and expands and gets you deeper and deeper into the into the game in general. It's just better overall than standard at doing what standard used to do, but. Let's assume that there's at some point in the future they they still care about standard as an onboarding tool for the more competitive-minded folks, which arguably are still a minority versus the casual community that might be drawn to EDH. But that's neither here nor there. Though you have to you have to craft the format instead of crafting sets for the format. You have to craft the season. You have to say these are the themes of the season. Here's how the sets work together. Here's the decks that are going to come out of that. Now let's spend weeks and a dedicated team testing those decks and figuring out what needs to be adjusted based on that. They don't do that. They do some testing, but it's to get a kind of like, do these cards play the way we expected them to? Does anything look obviously busted? But they're not crafting an entire season. If you don't do that, you're going to continue to have 
a standard format that requires regular intervention and bannings. I think that they accept that at this point because a lot more standard happens online than off, and they feel like they, it's relatively trivial to make those changes in a digital environment. And that may well be maybe well be the correct move. Um, going back to your comment about you know what are the top modern cards and what, how many of them are from MH2. You have top 20 right now is Lightning Bolt, Engineered Explosives, Luris, Thoughtseize, Ragavana number 5, so that's one of them. Express Veneration number 6 from Strixhaven, Prismatic Ending in 7th, Unholy Heat in 10th, Dragon's Rage Channeler in 11th, Fury is 12th. Uh, looking very good to be picking up Furies at my uh, price point that I flagged on cast a little while ago. Endurance is 15th, and that's it for the top 20. Uh, you got dressed down in twenty first, for instance. So, a pretty, pretty, pretty. I mean, dressed down's all over the place because of the Death Shadows decks. Yeah, um, no, it's just it's just an awesome card that like, like what a it, it's, not, a, it's a brilliant design. I, did not I look playable it. to me at all. Like the, no, no, it looked like garbage. It looked like straight terrible pale moon garbage. Exactly the kind of card that reminds me that I'm only so smart. <laughs> like there's there's a level there's several levels above and the people that recognize dress down as a key component in the format earlier are the smarter are 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 at that level um because most magic players looked at this and thought it was trash um because the thing is it's not even just about death shadow it's not a one-trick pony there's all sorts of cards that this interacts with that does where it does funny things because you can kill construct tokens from urza saga you can set off your thing in the ice earlier there's like there's a lot going on with the card um but yeah a, a lot of impact from mh2 and i'm happy with these band you know this if they're going to leave modern alone for most of the rest of the year i think we're going to be in a good place i'm i'm with you on that uh i'm i'm interested in like charting what the uh number of bands and standard and such has been because uh that's just good to know what you know when we get back to paper stuff and standard matters financially again but i might not ever go back to uh ever picking up large amounts of standard cards it, it just it has it hasn't worked and it if their ban risk is going to be this much higher with standard then maybe i should just uh stick with the commander and the modern formats it if my basic modus operandi is I care primarily whether something is either very popular in modern or very popular in commander, and ideally both. You know, Ragavan or Zasaga, um, Solitude, etc. And anything else, standard, legacy, pop, or whatever, is just gravy. Like, that's just bonus points. Um, but it's pretty clear which two formats matter. All right, so that's uh, probably a wrap for this week. Where can people find you online there, Cliff? Uh, you can find me online at Word of Commander, as well as my weekly articles on Fridays right here on mtgprice.com. You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as my, via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. Uh, I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, 
including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please remember to use the promo code FINANCE with the number 5 at checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and build those loyalty points. That brings us to the end of the podcast. Always a good time, James. Thanks again for coming on, Cliff, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Thank you.